MPB is the largest global platform to buy, sell and trade used photo and video kit. MPB is the simple, safe and circular way to trade, upgrade and get paid for kit. Find out more at www.mpb.com. Hello and welcome to the EV Forums podcast for Monday the 27th of March. Uh, we're back once again and I'm joined by regulars, uh, as always, Ed, Ian, Jules and Martin. Good evening, guys. Hello, Good sir. Evening. Good evening. As always, the chat window is also open. So if you are watching us live on YouTube, uh, why not get your questions in there now while you're watching? If you are catching up with us a little bit later in the week, like the majority of you do, then of course there is the usual ways of getting your questions and so on. And we'll go into that in a little bit of detail in a minute. Uh, also, what's coming up on tonight's uh, podcast? Well, we'll be looking at the new uh, UK pricing for Samsung and LG's 2023 ranges. They have now been announced. Um, I'm going to be looking at a TV from a TV manufacturer who used to be in the top tier, uh, no longer there. And the model I'm looking at is quite a budget TV. But how far does 400 quid go these days? Uh, so we'll be looking at a sharp TV um, and the review will be coming up soon on the website as well. Jules is going to be explaining the tools of the trade in terms of uh, calibration and measurement and so on. Uh, conversation I'll be getting involved in as well because we tend to use the same kit. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be discussing that, why we use the kit, why we use software and so on. Why can't you set up your TV by eye and just by fiddling around with a remote control? Uh, we'll tell you why and uh, we'll go into it in a little bit of detail as to the tools of the trade and why you pay a calibrator the fee that you pay them, yeah, mainly because the kit is mega expensive. Uh, Ed's going to be looking at a turntable, an automatic turntable. You still have to get up off your arse and move across and put the, the platter on, but, you know, it is automatic. So. If you if this is you let saying that at some point I'm allowed to review a jukebox, then <laughs> you know, we'll give it a yeah, whirl. Yeah, hey, I'd love a Wurlitzer. I've always wanted one. Um, Martin is going to be looking at some wallet friendly sound bars. If we've got time, we'll cover two. If not, we'll get the Yamaha. Um, yeah, there is only the one. It's just Sorry. the one. Just the one. Uh, we're going to be talking about the new Fire TV uh, Cube. I think it's a Gen 3 Cube, so we're going to be looking at that as well tonight. And of course, we've got uh, Hi-Fi, AV, Home Cinema, TV News uh, coming from Ian. So I think uh, that's just about everything that we've got lined up for tonight. And like I say, the chat window is open. And if you're not around uh, while we're live, then it's podcast at avforums.com for the email. Or the best way to get in touch with us is to actually go to avforums.com, uh, go over there and find the podcast forum. You'll find it down the bottom near the feedback section. Uh, go in there, find the thread relating to this podcast and put your question in there. Um, if you're not a member, it's free to register and create an account and uh, get your feedback in there. Let us know what you think. So uh, talking about feedback, We've had some feedback from uh, previous podcasts. So uh, the podcast on the 27th of February, we had the Danny Tack interview and Steve30X uh, said he's got a Philips TV. The one thing he wishes Philips would have done with the Ambulite settings is introduce the brightness and saturation into the Ambulite menu when you press the Ambulite button on the remote control. I'm using an Ambulite TV uh, on a daily basis. Uh, I agree with your comments there, Steve. Um, it would be nice if hitting the Ambulite uh, key at the top of the remote opened up the full Ambulite uh, menu. It's a, it's a bit of a short menu with just uh, the main point. So, yeah, uh, of course, the quickest way 
uh, to get around that is to hit the uh, the settings button, all settings, and then straight into Ambulite, and you get all the settings in there. But it would be nice with just a one-button press, so I agree with you there, Steve. Uh, and then the podcast on the 13th of March um, on YouTube, Edmund said, is the Sony A84K here in the UK a worthy TV? Uh, I believe, and I will check this with Sony just to uh, double check it, but I believe it is just a model change for a retailer. Uh, so it's actually an A80K. I don't believe there's any changes in the specification. Uh, off the top of my head anyway, I don't believe that to be the case. Uh, if it is a bit different, I shall let you know. Um, and we'll put it in the uh, in the thread if it is different. But my understanding of that is it's a, it's a code change, a SQ or a SKU change uh, for certain retailers. Uh, and then we've got a couple of hi-fi ones, Ed. Yes. Um, Sir Loin of Lamb ponders best British hi-fi. My heart says musical fidelity, but my head says name. Are they really British anymore? Well, I mean, they're not necessarily owned by the British, but they um, they still build pretty much everything in Salisbury, which is pretty British. Um, do you know what? I'm going to leave this for uh, another another <laughs> podcast. We'll see how we go. They, there is I still a, a brand I absolutely have in mind as the clear clear winner in this as a matrix of innovation uh consistently brilliant products and a number of other things that i, I will flesh out and it doesn't seem to have been mentioned as yet so we'll see where we go from there um then actually this is quite an interesting one uh michael freeland asks how hard is it to make good vu meters today do meters work perfectly fine in macintosh and duxman products or are they just added for fun well for the most part let's be brutally honest here they are added for fun even when they're very accurate um, very few people are, you know, seriously making any meaningful sort of calibration or level judgment based on what the meter is doing. But yes, they do come in varying flavors. Um, I don't know who the major players are in making them, but yes, um, Luxman, Accuphase, Macintosh have got very, very good VE meters, although you pay handsomely for all of them. Uh, Yamaha is using some nice ones. Uh, and those do seem that sort of type seems to crop up in a number of other Japanese amplifiers as well. And then there's ones which are just utterly decorative, um, and they look nice, and they they add to the flavour of the product. So you know that's all that's all fine. There's nothing wrong with them. But no, on the understanding that most people aren't using them for any sort of critical purpose anyway. They, they look they do they just look spectacular. But yes, they do come very much in varying flavours and, and and quality. VU meters are cool. End of. Yeah, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no sort of higher plane to this. That's how it is. No, no. Anything with a VU looks cool in my opinion. Right. Uh, so that's all the feedback from the podcast. Like I say, um, get your feedback in. Uh, we'll answer them if we can. And uh, we'll do that at the start of every podcast uh, going forward. There's a couple of questions just come up on uh, the live chat. And I'm going to ask the guys to follow the live chat tonight and pick out questions they want to answer a little bit later on. Um, so it's not just me that's having to do everything tonight. So they, they will be looking at the chat window and answering questions that come in. Uh, so I've got one from Gustavo. He's saying Samsung S95C or the LG G3. I've only seen the G3 in any great detail, uh, playing content, like actual real world content, content and not just um, manufacturer derived content. And um the the G3 looks amazing. It's it's going to be a real cracker of a TV. I'm expecting a review sample very soon. Um, the Samsung, I haven't seen it uh, doing anything other than CES uh, show floor. I believe they're out in the US uh, and available to buy in the US, not in the UK at the moment. 
Um, so we'll get one as soon as we can get hands on one. Um, it seems the US are getting them a little bit quicker than we are at the moment. So uh, I can pass my opinion once I've seen them. And I believe there was one other, um, which is for Martin. And I think Martin, take a note of that and we'll come back to it when we discuss Sophia Cube because it's uh, talking about that. So we'll come back to it a little bit later. Right. So what have you been up to since the last podcast? Very quickly, uh, Jules, what you've been up to? Wow, been spending a lot of time in my 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 demo room, my cinema room, um, setting up my Lumigen Radiance Pro and my Mad VR MV Pro. So um, not many places, I don't think, in the UK have got both um, where you can check them out. So it's really interesting looking at how they both handle their tone mapping and um, uh, deciding which one you prefer. And outside of that, I just get my lip busted playing football on Saturday. So right, happy well, you days. must have deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the. Uh... The, the two processes, what's the difference in price these days? Because I'm completely out of it. I, I don't keep in touch with that side of the market anymore because it's well, starting to get silly. None of, them are, none of them are cheap, as you'd expect. Um, the MadVR have two models, the Pro and the more expensive one. I forget what it's called, the Extreme. And then the, the Lumigen range has several, uh, depending on the number of inputs and outputs you want. Um, so I think they range, you know, I think we're ranging bottom Lumigen to the, to the top MadVR between 15 and something like 6,000. So there's model, lots of models there you could choose from. But um, they fundamentally do the same things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm sure we'll come back to that in a future podcast and we'll cover, is it worth it these days? Is the processing getting better on displays? Uh, do they do they do the same thing or is it still a standalone? I think that's definitely something for a future podcast. Uh, Martin, what have you been up to? Uh, also been in my screening room, like Jules. Uh, actually, I've just mounted a 2.35 fixed frame screen. And again, all doing this in a rented property. It's all mounted from a truss, but it, I think it's going to look very nice, actually. And I I must uh, post pictures. Um, yeah, still waiting on, on these pictures. Forums. Yeah, we keep yeah. promising this. And, yeah. yeah, I'm doing a timeline, <laughs> and I will do a video as well. But no, I'm really thrilled with the way it's coming along. Good. But That's like great. I said, my acoustics are terrible. I've got horrible decay running down the length of the house. And uh, but luckily, I got a call from Anthony Gramani last week from oh. Novato in California wow. on his way to uh, Oakland Airport. And he's very kindly going to help me with some strategically placed um, diffusers and absorbers in the room. So should be able to correct, hopefully, some or most of my problems. Okay. Well, again, let's document that. Let's uh, let's show the members how you've solved your problem, what was causing the problems, and so yeah, on. Yeah, we'll so do. We'll, uh, we'll circle back on that one. Um, so, yeah, you can tell that the lighter nights are coming in and summer's getting near because everybody's into their demo rooms. Uh, Ed, what have you been up to? Um, I have been doing my usual uh, remiss of work and things like that. Um, I also went to a hi-fi show um, yesterday. Went to the Audio Deluxe show at Whittlebury Hall, um, which is Whittlebury Hall's had various hi-fi shows um, uh, organised with uh, with you know uh, with with various organisers. The Deluxe show is very much a high-end show. Uh, there were, I think, by my count, at least five turntables with six-figure price tags. There were possibly more. Um, the, the thing that made it was that more 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 interesting for me was uh, I took my girlfriend along. <laughs> I mean, she asked to go. I didn't say no. You're coming with me. Um, and uh, it's always just invigorating to see the 
gentle lunacy of my working environment through the eyes of someone mm-hmm. new, um, which was quite entertaining. It is uh, interesting when, when uh, yeah, you've got somebody who's uh, not normally in that, that world. Yes. See, yes, this year was interesting and seeing it through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. I agree with you. So no, that was that was good. I mean, it was a very very high end show. Um, there were some spectacular products on display. The only catch is with very very high end shows is that you've got your very expensive product on display. So you don't generally take any risks sonically. You play very well recorded things or very. I mean, dinner jazz. So much dinner jazz. Um, and you know, it means it's actually quite hard to make an informed judgment about what the product's actually capable of because they're all playing nice things at nice volume levels in relatively. I mean, the rooms aren't catastrophic at Whittlebury, so you know, it, it's not a substitute for spending some meaningful time at a dealer. I would be staggered if anyone made much in the way of a purchasing decision from there. But it is an opportunity to see some quite esoteric things at, um, you know, at get up close and personal with them and see see how they would sit in your room and so on and so forth. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it passed, uh, passed a couple of hours quite pleasantly. Okay. Uh, is Ian here or is Ian a simulation these days? I'm not really quite sure. I'm, I'm kind of here. Kind of here. Okay. I, know, I, I mean, I've been busy with work, but I did, had, I did add another game to my playlist, which is already far too large. Um, but there's a new game called Valheim, just come up on uh, Game Pass. It's been out on the PC for a couple of years, but it's now up on uh, uh, consoles as a game preview, so it's still a little bit buggy. But it's it's kind of like a, a grown-up Minecraft in the mould of Ark Survival Involved, which is kind of in my wheelhouse, so I've been uh, settling into that quite nicely. So if you're lucky to those games as well, worth a look. Like I say, it's on Game Pass, so it's if you're a subscriber already, you can just jump in and play for free, even though you're paying for the subscription. But yeah, it's good fun. He's kind of got a, a Viking theme to it, so you're just walking around slaying monsters with swords and stuff like that whilst uh, trying to build cool bases and stuff like that. So it's been <laughs> and you, you don't jet wash anyone at any stage? Uh, certainly not. That's a DLC spin that I'm pitching to developers. Imagine these Vikings could probably do with a jet wash, shouldn't they? Probably smell a bit. That said, yeah. I mean, um, Ian, you must have been seeing some in the news about using... Um, various sort of AI software to map things and sort of turn them into Fortnite maps. And so oh, I, yeah. that, I mean, surely, surely this can be turned to a jet washing end. I mean, you could just bring new and exciting oh, objects into the world of jet washing simulators. Yeah, you could, I could just boot up Google maps and start at the top and work my way through the whole. Jet washing. I would be so oddly satisfied for the rest of my life. It's <laughs> <laughs> just that sense of smug satisfaction. Oh yeah. That's me. Onto the next Today one. I am jet washing Caracas. Yeah, that'd be fantastic actually. <laughs> on it so yeah so if you don't hear from me again you know, don't turn into reality <laughs> don't come looking obviously <laughs> okay uh not a lot to report on from my end uh, other than uh, lots of work uh quite a bit of traveling some meetings and that kind of thing so you know the boring stuff that we don't have to get into in any detail although i have been uh, house viewing which wasn't really on the agenda and became a thing and might actually be making an offer on something. Ooh. So that's come out of nowhere. So, but everything else, um, you know, just uh, the usual. So nothing exciting there. And Martin's going to now tell us about some really exciting stuff that we could win. Yes, I am. Uh, you can win a Kef LSX2 wireless hi-fi speaker system worth £1,199, plus your choice of dedicated accessory B1 wall bracket, S1 stand, or P1 desk pad. 
Uh, disc competitions available include Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist on Blu-ray, Father Brown Series 10 on Blu-ray, and VHGS 99 on Blu-ray. And exclusive offers for patrons include a selection of our current top 10 Blu-rays for March, includes Ealing Studios, Saraband for Dead Lovers, Women of Twilight, and the multiple Oscar-nominated Living. It's an excellent film. A copy of Criterion's March titles on Blu-ray include the Douglas Sirk melodramas, Magnificent Obsession, and All the Heaven Allows. Sophie Coppola's critically acclaimed The Virgin Suicides on 4K Blu-ray. And Batman, The Doom That Came to Gotham on Blu-ray, the latest DC animated universe movie. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, those are current competitions. Uh, head over to avforums.com forward slash competitions to enter those. Uh, everybody's eligible if you are uh, in the UK, uh, apart from me. Um, there you go. It's just one of them things, unfortunately. Uh, right, so that's us all cut up. That's all the admin done. Uh, let's get on with the show. So we're going to start with TV and TV news. Um, so we have pricing now for the 2023 models. Ian, why don't you take them through that? Uh, starting with LG. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might sound a bit like deja vu all over again. It's the last podcast we were talking about US and European prices. But um, with the, the C3 starting LG's 2023 rollout, we now have a whole bunch of confirmed prices for their wider lineup in the UK as well. Um, obviously, we've got all the details up on the website if you want to dive right into it. Um, but the bottom line, things pretty much up a little bit on last year uh, with a few sizable increases on some of the larger sizes. Uh, as an example, the C3 uh, OLED TV starts at 1499 for the 42 inch, going up to 1599 for the 48, uh, 2099 pounds for the 55 inch, uh, 2899 for the 65 inch, uh, 3999 pounds for the 77 inch with the 83 inch is a thousand pound up on last year's C2 launching at 6499 pounds. Um, so it's a similar story with the G3, which ranges from 2,599 for the 55-inch version up to £7,499 for the 83-inch model, which again is a big jump on last year's uh, G2. Um, we've also got details for the likes of the, the 8K Z3 models, which tops the list at £25,000 if you've got lots of money and want an 8K TV. Um, uh, and we've also got figures for the likes of the, the B3 as well as some of the uh, QNED TVs as well. So, yeah, if you want the full list, head over to the website. Everything's up on there now. Yeah. Uh, not surprised that there is an increase. Um, it's the world we're living in today. And uh, we've we've done this subject a number of times now, so I don't think we need to get into it in any great detail. But, yeah, things are going to cost a little bit more. Um, I Is it worth waiting? I, I possibly would. I'd possibly uh-huh. you know, ju- not jump in straight away um with the new models is it worth the jump up from last year's um models um i've yet to see the c3 in any great detail i am expecting it to drop any day now um and i have a c2 here uh from last year so i will be doing direct comparisons with last year's model to this year's model i suspect that i'm not going to see that much of a difference uh, between the two and the three in the c series uh, there is a massive jump up in terms of G. I have seen G2 versus G3. Um, that will be a, a lot more interesting. Um, but again, you know, is it worth it to you in terms of uh, the prices that they're going to be this year? Should you wait? I would say wait a little while. 
Um, certainly wait until the competition's out there so you can see see them all together um, or certainly go and demo them. Um, but yeah, uh, some interesting prices there from LG. And again, we're going to move on to Samsung. And again, uh, we're going to talk about QLED TVs costing quite a bit of money. Um, am I right, Ian? Yeah, yeah, it's a similar story, really, um, to to the LG one. I mean, obviously now the Samsung prices were announced before LG, so it does now give us that comparison so you can kind of start to weigh up uh, one manufacturer against another. But yeah, it's a, a similar deal with Samsung starting to roll out uh, its first QD OLED and Neo QLED TVs. So whereas before we only had European pricing, now we've got all the, the UK information as well. Um, again, all the information is up on the website, so I'll just go through a couple of headline figures. Um, S95C. Uh, which is now confirmed at two thousand six hundred ninety nine. That's the that's the premium QD OLED model from Samsung yeah. this year. So we expect that to be a bit toppy. Um, and then the the one that sits under that Ian um, is the S9. basically the the ninety is is fairly reasonable actually. Yeah, it's a little bit cheaper than the S ninety five B launched at last year. So fifty five and sixty five inch models priced at two thousand one hundred ninety nine pounds and two thousand nine hundred ninety nine pounds respectively. Still a 77-inch model to come for the S90C as well, but that doesn't launch till that'll be a little bit later along. So just waiting for the price on that. Um, again, all the rest of the information is up on the website. We've got Neo QLEDs on there, 8K models topping out at 9,599 if you want to spend a lot of money on the 85-inch QN900C or cheaper, cheapest 8K model, 55-inch QN700C uh, is down at £2,899 if you want more of an entry level into 8K TVs. Yeah. Um, similar case for the 4K Neo QLED. So like I say, it's all up on the website, so just jump over there and you'll get yeah. all the information. Yeah. We've got our full guide to Samsung's lineups also on there. Yeah. And of course, QLED is, is an LCD TV at the end of the day. Uh, just, just to make that clear, unless uh, it, it gets confusing, QLED, OLED, and so on, uh, obviously done deliberately uh, in terms of marketing. Uh, but yeah, um, some some big prices there for, for the QLEDs, um, which I don't know about you, Jules, but I... I, I I'm struggling to find where where these become such luxury items when you're talking about LCD technology, um, when OLED yeah. is so much better. Um, I do know that some people put forward, well, you know, it's brighter, it'll suit a brighter room, but actually, you know, OLEDs this year, the the they're pretty good for bright rooms, you know. Yeah, I yeah. I don't think there's that big gap anymore. Yeah, I recently calibrated um one of last year's eight K uh, Samsung top end models. And the reason the client bought it was because, you know, it was it was supposed to be very, very bright. Um, but he was just disappointed, a little bit disappointed by the darkroom performance, you know, with yep. a bit of haloing and the rest of it. So, I mean, there is no perfect technology, is there? There's no perfect you know, no, thing. No, but there's not. But I, I think I, the big thing with the 8K screen, which is yep. maybe what he didn't realize, because not a lot of people are talking about it. Yeah is the 4K screen uh, would have the same features and everything else and would be brighter. Uh -huh. uh, the 8K screen, because you've got so many pixels and you still got that backlight behind it, it uh -huh. actually kills the light. You need more light behind uh, that panel to, to yep. reach the same kind of brightness. So again, um, you know, this is things that people are not talking about for some strange reason, but the 8K QLEDs are dimmer than the 4K yep. QLEDs. Um, and it's basic physics, you know, you can't get the light through. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not surprised he was a little bit disappointed with that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, TV pricing for this year. Uh, like I say, wait till we've reviewed them all. Wait till they're available so you can go and see them in the shops. Um, unless you've got bottomless 
pocket and you just want to jump in, uh, that would be the advice at the minute. And hopefully that answers some of the questions that have been coming in live. Uh, HyperSF7 says, any comment on the 2023 LG auto dimming issues? Uh, no, not at the minute, because I haven't had time to actually sit and play around with them and see if it is an issue or not this year. Um, that many LG screens in the past, uh, quite a few, in fact. In fact, the Philips that I'm living with at the minute does it. If you leave a, a dark scene on for, and there's no major changes in ABL, uh, they do start to dim. Um, my understanding is there was a firmware update last week, um, and that should be corrected certainly for the 2023 screens. Uh, I'm sure if that will be the same for the 2022s. I uh, have reached out. I will reach out again. And like I say. We're just waiting on those models uh, to turn up. It should be any day now, so we can get into that. So hopefully that answers your questions, uh, Hyper SF2. Um, so let's move on. Um, let's talk about the tools that we use, Jules, because it's one of these things that um, we talk about an awful lot on the podcast. We talk about it in the, re the reviews, and sometimes it's just nice to uh, give people a refresher as to what it is that, that we are using, why we use uh, tools to measure TVs and so on. You know, why don't we just get them out of the box and sit there and twiddle the controls until we are happy um, with the picture? And I guess 90% of people do do that. We did a, an Ipsos poll a number of years ago, probably about 12 years ago now, thinking about it, um, for Picture Perfect. And um, that was the, the one thing that came back. Most people take a TV out of the box and they don't touch it. They, they put it up in the TV stand and they leave it there. And of course, they're missing out on so much uh -huh. in terms of the performance and so on. So the AV Forums crowd are not that crowd. Um, but of course, we, we're reaching out to a lot wider audience than the AV Forums audience. So there are reasons why we measure TVs, there are reasons why we calibrate them and so on. So in terms of the cost to calibrate a, a screen jewels, it's normally quite expensive. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the, the actual cost, but it's a few hundred pounds. Yeah, um, well, different calibrators charge different different amounts, but roughly in the region of two fifty to three hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, um, and that's for the whole. That's for that's you know basically booking a calibrator for a whole day. Yeah, um, and, and includes the travel time to wherever you might be. Um, yeah, and I think the thing that people they look at the price and, and maybe they don't understand what it is that they're paying for, but they are paying for your time, but they're also paying for your experience yep. um, as a calibrator. And, and you don't get that overnight. You have to sit mm -hmm. and play around with these things and learn for yourself and gain that experience. And not every display is the same. Each manufacturer has their own way of doing things and so on. So you need to build that knowledge base. So that's what they're paying for. But also the equipment. And this yep. is a bit that most people don't understand is, you know, why the equipment exists and why the equipment is so expensive to buy. Because if it was cheap, I think everybody would go out and buy a meter and try and do uh -huh. it themselves. And there are routes that people can go down, but still, it's still quite expensive. So let's start at what we use. Um, and I'll let you uh, kick off right now with what it is that you use. And, and I've just seen one of the questions pop up. Normal person doesn't want to pay anything extra after buying a 2K TV. Um, this is a common question that gets asked. Uh, why does somebody have to pay extra on top of their 2K TV jewels? Well, we're not normal people, are we? Um, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, um, we, we, we are video files, audio files, and your ordinary person, as you just said in the, pre, in, in the prologue there, uh, is just going to buy the TV, switch it on, or 
you know, it's going to put into filmmaker mode, which is very good. Um, and everybody will find their level. But as somebody who's fairly OCD about these things and wants to know, I get the very best out of everything I bought. Um, even before I was professional, I was prepared to spend money to get that right um, and, and just have that satisfaction, you know, that I'm getting the best sound, the best video possible out of the equipment that, that I've invested a lot of money into. So, um, of course, as you, if you're buying a £500 TV, you're not going to spend 300 quid. 250 pound three and rent getting it calibrated but the more you spend the more the, the more the more as a percentage of the purchase price uh, or the less it is and and the more um reasonable it is to get it get it done yeah. um yeah i guess it's like buying a ferrari you know yeah. you're going to go and buy a ferrari you're then not going to run it on e10 fuel you're going to you know you need to run it on you know yeah. super unleady and it's going to cost you a little bit more to run it on there you're going to have it serviced every year you need to have it serviced uh, to keep it running at its optimum, but at the same time, you know, you want to get the best out of the product. So that's Perhaps one way. Perhaps more pertinent in the car analogy is if you're going to oh. buy something like that, you might want to invest in a little bit of time and effort learning how to get yeah. the best. Yeah, and it, and yeah. it always used to be the case, and I don't know if it is still the case. Or are people when they go and buy a product now? But it was always the case for me anyway when I was an enthusiast and going out and and visiting hi-fi shows and you know doing research on products that i wanted i always had 10 percent in the back of my head for uh -huh. accessories um whether that was a stand to put speakers on whether that was a stand for the the equipment i was buying whether that was to pay somebody for their expertise to come and set it up uh, in a particular way i always had this always have about 10 percent of your budget to one side just for any uh, anything that you may need to make that uh, purchase at work at its very best, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not you know, buying expensive equipment and, and not having that at the back of your mind that you need to set it up correctly. Um, you are shortchanging yourself ultimately. Uh, you're not going to get the best uh, audio visual experience yeah. uh, out of it. Yeah, and of course it, it comes to, and we'll get onto the meters in a minute, but it comes yep. to different things as well. I mean, your room, you know, if you're talking mm -hmm. about a display product, the room has a big impact of on course. that. Um, that's something that a calibrator can help with. Uh, the whole display chain, you know, people just think mm -hmm. it's the TV or my TV needs calibrated. Well, mm. what are you feeding the TV? Yep. You know, do these devices need to be calibrated? Do they need to be set up in a certain way? Is the TV switching in the correct mode? Uh -huh. When you go to the Blu-ray player, um, you know, is it bringing up the best possible picture quality? Has that been calibrated? So it's not just about the display, is it? No, it's not. Um, and obviously, there are places now, um, some retailers offering a pre-calibration service where you can buy a TV and it's been calibrated in the shop. Um, but again, that ignores what you've just said, is that the whole room is part of the video chain. And, and acoustically as well. I mean, Martin's just been talking about the, the problems in his room. So you yeah. you can buy the gear, you can buy really expensive gear, put it in your room, and it's not performing to its uh, to its uh, maximum capability. So you need somebody to come into your home um, who's got the experience and the equipment uh, to be able to tweak that for you. And it's it's not that uh, in terms of video. Certainly, we are coming in with our opinion. We are a standards based industry, and everything is uh, you know empirically verifiable. So when I'm in a grading studio, um, everything is done exactly the same. And, and that has to be repeatable in studios across the world yeah. so that the content that we're looking, which is produced across in different studios around the world, like Avatar and so-and-so, it, it, it's not a dog's dinner at the end of the day. You're not getting 100 different colors of Avatar 
um, that you know. So it's all produced in a very measured uh, and controlled way. Yeah, measured, controlled, and repeatable, and that's exactly. why we use yeah. uh, that approach with reviews because um, it gives you the objective data. It tells you exactly mm-hmm. um, how a product's performing. Now, this is where audio and video do go their separate routes, um, and it's where you know, there are the standards in place that say what red should look like in a Rec 709 yep. color space. Now, what should red look like in a 2020 BT 2020 color space? These coordinates are known. Um, they are in stone. They are written down, and the display must be able to uh, at least get close um, to being able to display uh, those colors correctly. So when we say, uh, and and people are entitled to do what they like with their uh, TVs and displays at the end of the day, we're not you know, saying you must do this and you must do that. It's entirely up to you. You spend your money, you do you. Um, but if you want to do it right and you want to see it as it was mastered, as uh, the content was created, as it's supposed to look, um, then there are standards there and you follow the standards you will see that content, like Jules says, as it should look. And it was a good example uh, that you used their avatar. You know, if you think about how many digital artists mm. have to work on, uh, you know, special effects and so on, creating these these images, and they're all using different monitors, they all mm-hmm. have to look the same. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, 15 different versions of blue. Um, yeah. It, and that's why calibration is important. And another thing, it's a question I keep seeing popping up uh, time and time again on forums or on our YouTube videos and so on is, well, why do I want the TVs, all these TVs looking the same? Well, that's the point of calibration. The point of calibration is that you are able to see the content as it's supposed to be seen. And if yeah. that means that you have four OLED screens sitting next, next to each other in a shootout and they all look almost identical that's because they've all been calibrated to a standard. And it mean, it, that shows you how good these displays are at getting very, very, very close yep. to being accurate. And that's what we're talking about, about being accurate. Um, you know, you read reviews sometimes from people who clearly haven't done any measurements and they're talking about color accuracy. Well, how do you know that that is accurate? Uh-huh. You know, the eye is not good when it comes to color in, in, term, in, in determining different hues and different shades of colors dual and this is why we use expensive equipment absolutely you know and ultimately we mustn't forget it's science driven but it's for the preservation of art yeah that's ultimately what's about film is art and and that's what we're trying to preserve and allow everybody to enjoy to its fullest yeah and again it's another misconception people think well that only applies to the film no that's definitely where this is yep. all stemmed from and has been born from. But games nowadays are... Absolutely. Uh, you know, these studios now, they understand that things need to look a certain way. There needs to be consistency um, across the games. You, you see feedback from some HDR games looking very odd because, you know, the person producing that game hasn't stuck to standards. So, again, it's an industry, Jules. I know you've done a few yep. jobs in there as well, a bit calibrating their displays. So they are making content that does follow these standards yeah absolutely yeah I've, i work with uh, several games companies um some big big games coming out soon um where the games companies have been uh, very concerned that certainly the, the the art directors in them very concerned that um there's consistency um on all of their monitors that they're they're you know they're working on the, from the same platform um you know, and, and we're going to get the benefit uh, as as gamers when you're jet washing something. You want to know that it's it's, it's accurate. 
it's nice and you, clean. You know, yeah. you know what it's clean. <laughs> yeah. So let's get on to what we were going to talk about. Yep. What's in your toolbox? And I'm, I'm paying all this money to hire you to come out, yep. and we now know why we're doing it and the reasons behind it and the science behind it. Yep. So, what kind of equipment do you use? And, and obviously, this yep. also applies to what I'm doing here when we're absolutely. It. But it's just like show and tell, this isn't it? Um, so, um, first of all, you need to generate an accurate pattern. So you connect your pattern generator to your display. Um, and um, obviously, the pattern generator is is automated. It's uh, connected to your software. So um, I've got my uh, my big beastie here. That's the Meridio 7G, uh, which you might also have. Um... Uh, I see. I thought you were going to get a 6G out. So I was a bit. Oh, I've got 6G as well. So I've got 6G as well. There's a little baby, 6G, which yeah. is much more portable. And then you've got 7G, and it's full of all sorts of patterns. This also includes Dolby Atmos and other sound uh, audio yeah. um, as well. Um, it's, got, it's got a lot of HDR patterns in there, including including video. You can upload your own video uh, to it as well. The important thing is that is that we're ref, we're measuring from a reference source. Yeah. So if so your source isn't correct, you know, then then your results are not going to be good. Um, and of course, then um, we want to measure the uh, output from the display and get that back into the software again. So we then have two different types of meter. The first one here you, uh, is uh, maybe familiar to many people. It's a Klein K10A, so, which you might have as well. Yeah, There you go, uh, K10A. This is a color image, trisimulus color emitter. It filters light through red, green, and blue filters. It's very fast. It reads down to black really well. So it's going to read your luminance levels for your gamma, et cetera. Um, but it, 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 even at the box, um, they are not as color accurate as one of these, which you also have. Just trying to get out the out the case. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So Jetty fifteen eleven. Um, it's about eight thousand pounds. One of these little things. It's like a, a Nintendo, isn't it? Um, but um, that that measures light throughout the whole uh, spectrum, not just red, green, and blue. It's very very color accurate. Um, so ideally, what you want to do if you're if you're calibrating is you want to combine these because this is very slow and it doesn't read luminous levels near black very well at all. Um, but it's supremely color accurate, and this one's very fast and reads your luminous levels superbly. But it's not so color accurate. So you would use your software to measure the same white, red, green, blue patterns with both, and then your software will compute a correction for this based on that. Yeah. Uh, so whenever you do a calibration. You ideally, you definitely need a spectro to profile your colorimeter. Yeah, and profile is very uh, important, especially when we're getting yep. onto displays these days. And uh, and this was one of the reasons why I specified a high res version of the Jetty uh, again, because the wavelengths of light yep. are changing. You know, laser projectors and so on. We need more accuracy there, so we yep. can actually measure the actual wavelength of the light, Jules. Yeah, we're getting narrower and narrower wavelengths um, with different display technologies, and for that you need more precise instrumentation. So, um, you know, a Jetty comes in a basic 4.5 nanometer version, but it goes down to a two nanometer version as well. There are other different, there are other uh, makes of, of spectra, as a Caliph and others. Um, uh, so, colorimetry research do one as well. Yeah. Um, so there are different ones you can go for, but they're doing the same, providing that same function. Um, as we're getting narrow wavelengths, we need higher resolution spectros yeah and of course 
you can also look at the spectrum of light, which is proven to be a popular way of finding out exactly which OLED uh, you have yeah, yeah. In, in your TV. You can tell that just by but, measuring the spectral output yeah, of the, of the these light. ones have got a, a pretty cool um, display on them. I don't know whether you can yeah. see that. Pretty cool display, and that will show you the, the spectral distribution of any light source that you are uh, measuring. So, yeah, yeah it's cool. If you're also a knit nerd, uh, you can hold that to the screen and I'll tell you exactly how many knits exactly. uh, you're getting from that screen as well. It's very, very handy That's tool. Cool. Uh, now, these do cost a lot of money um, to purchase because they yep. are specialist pieces of equipment and not everybody's going to be able to stretch to to these types of, of meters, jewels. But there are things that, uh, you know, general enthusiasts out there who maybe want to try Calman Home for their LG or their Philips or whatever that runs AutoCal. What kind of meters are there for, for people like that that give them some kind of accuracy, if not you know entirely accurate to what we've, we're using here for? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we started, I mean, started as an amateur with, you know, with a Spider, which yeah. looking back was, I mean, it's still available. You can, I don't know what, don't know what version you're on to now, Spider 26. It's like the now, you know, the now records, isn't it? Uh, you know. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, um, this, the 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 uh, there is the the main one is the X-Rite i1 uh, i1 Display uh, Pro ID3. Sorry, ID3, and the i1 Display Pro is a Spectro version of that, which I think mm -hmm. is about it's a Spectro version. It's about two two grand now, I think two to three grand, something like that. Yeah. And then you've got um, the the cheaper colorimeter, which a lot of hobbyists are buying. That's around two hundred to three hundred pounds from memory. Um, it's a, it's a, it's exactly like this, and it's a tri-stimulus colorimeter, but it has plastic filters. This one has glass filters, um, yeah. so it has plastic filters. And the thing with plastic filters is is that uh, they're less accurate, and also they're likely to degrade over a period of time. So um, it becomes important then to use a spectro to correct that. So hopefully, this is starting to get across to people exactly yeah. where their money goes when they're hiring a professional, and you know how intense, how expensive the stuff is to 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 get you started, but also, you know, how intense it is for you in terms of getting the knowledge and getting the experience and so on. That again, that's something that they're purchasing. So what connects all of this together is is a very clever bit of software, Jules, which yeah. has now become the industry standard, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I was going to boot it up and show you, but um, you know, it's got. It takes, I've got it takes forever. <laughs> it does. I've got Calman on here. So Calman is a very well-known um, software package. It's not cheap. Again, it's one of those you know professional softwares that's going to cost you in the full version, the ultimate version, which a professional would have. Again, that's going to be about two and a half grand, um, and then you've got your annual eight hundred pound renewal fee um, as well. So, um, and again, uh, there's another one is color, color space, which is another one by light illusion. Um, and that's again in the, in the, in the couple of grand region, which I've also got. Um, so I've got, you know, two of the, two of the best on, on the laptop there for different purposes. There are free versions. There are free softwares out there. You can get HCFR, which, um, I think I started with back in the, uh, in the noughties. Um, uh, so yes, you can, you can do things on a budget, but again, you're going to be a little bit more limited in terms of the accuracy you can achieve because of the yeah. other gear you're using. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, if it's just for, you know, uh, their screen, uh, allows them to learn a little bit more about the color science and color fidelity and why things uh, are done a certain way, why the standards exist and so on. Uh, they're not bad, these little meters and, and, you know, buying a little bit of software, I think it's $200 ish for, 
the autocal for a, a specific yeah. display and then yeah. maybe another couple of hundred quid for a, a meter that gets you up and running and like joe says he started that way i started that way yeah. um you know just with these these small meters and then when you learn more you get a little bit more experience you then want to step your game up and then obviously i moved on to reviewing so i don't go out and, and calibrate people's tvs and i just don't have the time to do it um but I use all the same gear. It's the same methodology uh, when we come to testing the TVs. Um, it's more about measurement when you're doing uh, reviews. You know, how is the display performing? Uh-huh. Uh, but then calibrating it as well uh, and so on. And obviously what Jules does is he goes out to studios and professional facilities, make sure that all their equipment is calibrated and working properly. And also consumer homes as well. So that's why you need uh, that level of equipment. But don't let those... Prices put you off if you are interested in it. Um, you know, definitely pick up a, a, a meter, try and get some software, and and try it yourself if you're interested in it. it. It's a big, steep learning curve, but it's well worth it once you get yourself down that road. Um, and it can lead to different different things as well if you're looking for careers or so on. Or I am fascinated by Paul Monger's question, and I think it's one that needs to be asked here and now. Do we have to buy the calibrator lunch? I mean, what is etiquette? <laughs> I used to bring my own. Tesco's do a really nice <laughs> meal deal, don't they? Uh, fine. I mean, you know, that, so that's there you go. Test, Tesco meals. But I'm, I'm not averse to somebody providing lunch, but. Yeah. Uh, so before we move on from the subject, uh, obviously the team's here. So any questions from the, the team on the podcast for, for Jules in terms of calibration and so on? Um, anything there, Martin, Jules? It does sound refreshing like you can spend as much. Oh, well, uh, it, it, it's funny, obviously, in the same way that there are, uh, as you say, cost-effective tools that you can use to do a little bit of home calibration. Yeah. There are um, uh, the same with turntable setup. I mean, there's alignment protractors, and there's ones that use lasers. And by the time you get into the ones that use lasers, that's quite a serious undertaking. So it's quite, quite refreshing. You can disappear down a rabbit hole as well. I mean, the equipment that, that we've shown you tonight, that is, I would probably say mid-range jewels. Because they are more can, expensive gear. You can get um, into some pretty big yeah, numbers yeah, yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. but if, if you're working in a studio, what I've just shown you is 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 perfectly, you know, yeah. it's, it's well-regarded. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah, it's mid-range. For the professionals, it's what I meant to say. Konica Minolta gear, there you're yeah. talking. I mean, uh, and this, you know, um, you know, you're, you're profiling your colorimeter on a regular basis with every display mm-hmm. you're doing against one of these. But this has to go back as well to the god yeah. of all spectros, the god of all measurement devices, and and be re- redone um, on an annual basis as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully that answers some questions. It might raise others. If you want to find out a little bit more, if you've got any questions and so on, if you're watching live, you can do it in the chat window. If you're watching a little bit later on or listening a little bit later on in the week, get your questions in in the thread on EV forums and we will certainly come back to this. We're going to do quite a bit this year in terms of explanations, in terms of what we do when we review, what Jules does when he goes out in the field. We're going to answer your questions. And some of the guys on the team might even end up being trained this year and telling you all about their experiences and uh, what they're going to use it for going forward. So stay tuned for that. That's definitely something uh, we're going to be doing a little bit further down the line. Uh, something that you will see in the next few weeks as well is my first TV review of 2023. No, it's not a singing, all singing, all dancing, top of the range luxury TV. It's a 400 quid LCD, but 
what do you get for 400 quid in terms of an LCD TV now? Uh, and I've got to say, I was pleasantly surprised at just the quality that uh, is possible uh, at that price. Now, we're not talking about a main display. Uh, we're not talking about something for critical movie viewing or anything like that, because as soon as you mention LCD, there are the traits that that technology has that you just can't get around and you know manufacturers have been trying for decades to get around some of the issues so uh, it does suffer from clouding in dark room viewing um because it's edge lit uh you are going to see some clouding you're going to see some dirty screen effects so uh, that's uh, blotches and so on on the screen especially if there's camera movement and so on which makes the screen look dirty that's what we're talking about when we say dirty screen effect it's uh, it's that effect of uh, the backlight and uh, and the panel. Um, it's something that some do well, some not so well. Uh, this sharp did suffer a little bit from that. But again, uh, these issues can be mitigated uh, quite a bit by just watching the TV in a bright room. Um, and this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a second screen, uh, something for the bedroom, something for the kitchen. It's an Android-based uh, TV, so it runs Android TV smart system. Uh, it has Chromecast has all the things you would expect from an Android device uh, on there. It has all the major apps, uh, most of them in 4K HDR as well. It's an HDR TV, but when you're talking 400 quid, you're talking 400 nets and no more than that. It's the same for all of them. Uh, it has Dolby Vision, and this is where Dolby Vision does become valuable is at this price point because it does a decent job of tone mapping to that 400 nets. Now, it's not going to be mega bright. Uh, it is going to clip quite a bit of your bright detail, but at the same time, it gives you a, a little bit more of a dynamic image um, than you would get from just watching SDR. So there is that little bit um, of a boost, but don't expect uh, you know massive highlight detail, specular highlight detail or anything like that. It's just not capable. But again, it's a 400 quid uh, screen. It's very plastic. It's made from plastic. The remote's very plastic. Um, again, 400 quid TV, so we'll forgive it that. It has a borderless design, a frameless design to it, so it looks really quite neat uh, sitting on the stand. And in terms of color accuracy, it was really quite good out of the box. Uh, grayscale tracking was was very good. Um, just under three for the majority. There was a few bits that were over three, but in terms of Delta E errors. Again, nothing that at this price point would put you off and uh, shove it in the movie mode. It did look really quite nice. Obviously, where you are missing out is in the processing. The processing is not quite as good uh, as the more expensive TV. So upscaling, a little bit of fizziness here and there, um, a little bit of junk pixels now and again. Um, there is a little bit of trailing on fast moving objects. But again, these are things that at 400 quid you can forgive. Uh, a TV at this price point. If it's going to be a second screen TV, it's not something that you're going to be critically watching anyway. So in terms of uh, something that's cheap, cheerful, does the job, offers uh, most of the smart connectivity that you want these days, uh, lots of the apps are built in there. Um, it's a really decent TV for £400. I really couldn't fault it. Um, there was no major issues and as long as you go into it with that mindset that you know it's not going to be perfect at 400 pounds but it's going to give you a certain level of performance um then it, it it's very close to getting a recommendation it doesn't quite get a recommendation um but it's not a bad tv at all and when i talk about recommendation i'm talking about a budget score seven out of ten um it's a strong tv and it's not going to hang around at 400 quid you'll you'll be able to, i mean i'd looked on the internet and i could see it a lot cheaper than that so in terms of a 55 inch screen at that price point it's from uh, a, a decent brand um that has been rebranded obviously um it has been put out the ip but 
it's a strong TV and it has some uh, strong plus points that go for it. So check out the review. The review will be up in a, a few days. And I think that's it for TV. So uh, we'll be moving on to home cinema next. If you'd like to support the AV Forums podcast on a regular basis, then why not become a patron? Head over to patreon.com forward slash AV Forums to sign up. You can also make a one-off donation through the Super Chat or via streamlabs.com forward slash AV Forums. All donations help us to improve the website and the podcasts. Thank you to all our supporters. So welcome on to the home cinema section of tonight's podcast. And before we get started, uh, we need to say goodbye to Jules. So Jules is off to do his football training. Yep, get um, the other, other lip busted. Yeah, that's it. So best of luck. Uh, I would say go break a leg, but that's the wrong uh, analogy to use. So I won't do that. Uh, But go and have fun and we'll catch you on the next podcast. Cheers, Jules. Cheers, guys. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Home cinema section. Um, Let's start with news. So Ian, what's been happening? Um, Yeah, starting at the top. um, Integra has announced that it should start rolling out its new flagship AV receiver, the DRX 8.4. Uh, initially, it'll be launching in the US. Uh, this spring is the window, so they don't have a specific date for it as yet, but not too far away, I'd imagine. Uh, it'll be priced at $3,200 US dollars, uh, with the UK launch likely to follow a little bit later in the year. So UK uses a bit of a wait. Short story, it's an 11.4 channel network AVR, delivering up to 150 watts per channel into eight ohms. It's got a new class AV amplifier in place. Uh, THX certified, if uh, that's important to you. comes with support for Dolby Atmos, DTSX, uh, IMAX enhanced, and we're sure that there's an Oro 3D update also in the pipeline coming a little bit later in the year. Uh, another key feature of it is it comes with a, a suite of custom-friendly tools to presumably appeal to the professional installers or just those who want a little bit more control over their setups. Helps if I press unmute. Uh, yeah, yeah, it looks like a, a really good model, this. Um, Integra, not a brand that's been uh, dominant in the UK in any way. It's more... Uh, US, uh, where they've, they've had a lot of success with that. Um, usually, um, you know, it, usually it has a big price tag, but this one looks decent in terms of the technology that you get, and it looks like it's a, a stepway product into the UK. So, um, again, we have one, I think, lined up for review very soon, or certainly will be coming in for review uh, very soon. So, we'll be having a look at that one. Anything else, Ian? Yeah, um, we've proved spoken about uh, Clips reference speakers, um, but they've also announced four new subwoofer additions to its reference Premier lineup. Uh, these are the RP1000SW, the 1200SW, the 1400SW, and the 1600SW, uh, which all live up to their names with 10 to 16-inch drivers, respectively. Uh, prices range from £899 up to uh, £1,849 for the larger subwoofer. Uh, should they're being sort of completely redesigned from the ground up to uh, obviously comply with the, the new and updated, recently updated speakers, come with a redesigned airfoil front firing, front firing slot port plus the amplification, offering solutions with a peak power up to 1600 watts, uh, and also promised notable improvements to the lower frequencies as well. So it sounds like quite an interesting lineup. I've got to say, I have no experience with Klipsch. Um, not a brand that I've had any dealings with in terms of review product. They're they're quite new to the UK in terms of they've only been around uh, or been distributed for the last few years. Uh, but um, Martin, you have had a look at some of the products. Uh, what do you think? Uh, well, actually, I'm 
receiving my first product from Clips oh, right, tomorrow, okay. the, the Sevens. The yeah. Sevens, okay, yeah. So we'll be able to do that in the next podcast to talk about them because uh, they are fairly new to the UK in terms of distribution. I mean, well, not- there's, and a couple of companies have given it a go before, but the one that the distributor they have now is actually able to make a decent fist of it. And furthermore, uh, they're actually able to make a fist of all of the stuff that Clips shells. It's one of the widest product yeah. portfolios because it goes all yeah. the way from chunky but relatively conventional loudspeakers all the way through to massive horn designs which are yeah. you know radically different to yeah. to the mainstream um and i've yeah i have to say I've, I've just had a reasonable amount of it come through over the years i've tended to like all of it it's not always okay. the most obvious yeah. sorry not always the most subtle thing going either mm-hmm. visually or sonically but for av purposes i've had some cracking experiences with clips av um yeah. and i very much hope that uh, martin and team do uh, f- f- enjoy it as much as i have they tend to they tend to have that sort of mid-century look about them don't they that's kind of yeah i mean some of the some of the heritage ones yes they, they've been in production since the 50s and 60s and they feel it ain't broke so they don't they don't fix the looks yeah but no, they, uh, on the av stuff let's i don't want to under the, the av stuff they, they you know it, they they do keep a certain aesthetic but there's a lot of quite clever and up-to-date technology don't go thinking it's all old school because it's not no, it's it's always uh, been of interest to me. I just never had the the opportunity to get my hands on it. Like you say, Ed, there's been a few distributors, and it's even getting review samples has been a bit flaky in the past. Yeah. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to get the kit through, we'll get it tested, um, and get to spend some time with it because it does look uh, really interesting, and it's got a huge following yeah, in the US. Um, and you don't get that through producing bad products. So yeah, um, should be. Interesting to see what Martin thinks of his first sort of AV products. Uh, we'll get them through soon. Anything else we need to talk about news-wise, Ian? Yeah, just one last story that dropped today. Um, ben Q has announced the impending arrival in the UK of its GP500 4K LED smart projector. Uh, this was something that was previously announced back in uh, back at CES uh, and has already been released in the US. Um, but it's, yeah, it's now coming to the UK and we've got a £1,699 price tag on it. Uh, ahead of it reaching our shores um basic specs for it of brightness up to 1500 lumens boasts of 90% color coverage of dcip3 standards comes with a four speaker travolo audio system offering up a 360 degree or 3d sound uh, also comes with a android tv setup for easy access to prime video hulu youtube and whatever else you want to plug into it um so yeah it's uh, another new interesting addition um, quite a decent price tag as well so we can see how well it performs yeah, and uh, we're, we're going to be looking at a few of these uh, little projectors before the main sort of TV season starts here um, in terms of review. So I've got a few projectors in at the moment. Uh, you'll see that content starting to come up. And hopefully BenQ will be able to send us through some of these as well because it's an interesting sector of the market. I think more people are now uh, interested in projectors. Certainly uh, gaming-wise, um, that's another growth area, Ian, um, for projectors. More and more gamers are now uh, looking at uh, either you know long throw projectors or looking at the ultra short throw uh, models when it comes to gaming as well. So um, to, yeah, we're going to start looking at the those um, probably in the next few weeks. So keep your eye on the homepage. And uh, one thing that has been reviewed and uh, has uh, attached uh, or attracted quite a few comments is the new Amazon Fire TV Cube, the Generation Three. And uh, this was sent over to Martin for review. Um, we don't have to go into great detail, Martin, because the review's obviously up there, and we will yep. encourage people to go and uh, and read that and get the full details. But just give us a gist of the, the product and, and what you thought. Yeah, sure. So this is a, kind of a new category for me. Um, so for me, it was fascinating to review and dig in deep. But this is the third generation of the Fire TV Cube. 
and it's Amazon's fastest Fire TV streaming media player yet with an octa-core processor that makes it 20% more powerful than the previous generation. Um, the processor increases app launch speeds, making this Fire TV, in Amazon's words, the smoothest and most fluid streaming media player so far. Um, the Cube can be controlled hands-free with Alexa, which is key. So it is an Alexa um, smart speaker as well as a streaming uh, box. And of course, it supports 4K Ultra HD, Dolby Vision, HDR, and Dolby Atmos audio in a 7.1.2 configuration. Uh, plus, it offers a, a raft of new features, including an HDMI input port. So this makes it the only streamer that has an HDMI input. So if you have an external uh, gaming console or a uh, cable box that you want to connect, you can then um, ingest that interface into that of the Fire TV Cube. Uh, it also uses Wi-Fi 6E support, which means you get much um, you get much better Wi-Fi connectivity in the home and less interruption from uh, other devices as well. It's got a very attractive build. I was very impressed with the build quality. It's got a cloth surround. It replaces the second gen's um, glossy black hard-cornered version, which didn't have the HDMI input either. Um, of course, the big sell, like I said, is having hands-free Alexa control plus streaming. Uh, the other thing I really liked is the unit will turn on all your components. So it learns all the commands either over Arc um, or through learning remote uh, commands. So it will turn on uh, your uh, soundbar or your active speakers uh, and, and your TV as well. So it's uh, nice the way it turns everything on. I was very impressed with how it did that. Um, Easy setup procedure. It's very smooth. It's actually a very pleasurable setup procedure as well. And you're guided through all the different stages and there's a bit of humor thrown in as well. There's a USB port for extra storage, photos and videos, and uh, video calling is enabled with Alexa Communications. Um, there's uh, HDMI, um, like I said, for a cable box, Wi-Fi 6 tri-band, uh, and there's also two quite neat features in the form of ASHA support, which is audio streaming for hearing aids, which means you can connect compatible Bluetooth hearing aids. And there's an IR emitter for controlling a display or AV receiver. So if you're using one of these in your home cinema, it will slot in nicely there. It's got a great interface, but there are ads. I didn't see any targeted ads towards me, but there's a lot of pushing of Amazon Prime content and uh, there's been quite a lot of pushback from that because Apple TV does not have uh, any advertising targeted or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and performance, uh, beautiful, color accurate, sharp, consistent grain structure. I liked everything I saw and the performance was lightning fast. I, I really loved this little box, actually. Great addition. Excellent. And what about the user interface? I, I know a, a, a lot of manufacturers are going back and, and reassessing what the... Cause some devices nowadays, you're page upon page and you get lost very quickly. So in terms of user interface, for somebody who's maybe not um, as switched on as I, I, we are in terms of you know using these devices, how easy is it to use? I thought very easy, very intuitive. And uh, yeah, I got around it very quickly. 
Uh, I haven't had a chance to play around with uh, Apple TV. I believe that is a more streamlined and easier interface, but mm. this suited me very well. Yeah. I got around the apps very quickly. And like I said, I liked the setup as well. Yeah. Excellent. So if you want more details, you want to find out a little bit more about um, Martin's uh, review and what he thought uh, and get a little bit more of a deep dive, then go and read. Uh, the review is on the uh, AV Forum's website. It, it is just worth mentioning, Phil, very quickly, because a few people have asked this and people are asking, you know, what's the advantage of the Apple TV? It is worth mentioning that the 128 gig version of the ATV, Apple TV, um, does have gigabit ethernet. And for some people on the forums, this was a concern about whether they could plug into their NAS or um, media distribution servers. Uh, Apple TV might serve you better if you need a gigabit ethernet connection. This tops out at 100 uh, megabits per second. Right, okay. Well, that, I guess, yeah, that's that's going to be important for, for some users. And again, if you want more details on that, head over to the website, uh, you read the review, and of course, the discussion thread is attached to that. If you want to ask questions or you want to read up on what other people think, uh, you can head in there as well. Uh, but we need to move on from home cinema this week, and we're now going to go over to Ed in a sec and get the hi-fi news. If you enjoy the podcast on YouTube, then please like and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version, then please leave us a rating on your podcast app. We invite you to email questions and feedback to podcast at avforums.com and join in with this episode's discussion thread in the podcasts forum at AV Forums. Right then, uh, Phil gets to uh, have uh, some minutes to himself. The hi-fi section. Um, first of all, we are going to cover some of the new stories that we've got for uh, for our section. So I wheel Ian back into life. And um, first up, as I understand it, we have got some new arrivals from Ellipson. Yeah, uh, basically they've uh, announced uh, a new range of speakers, which is essentially a new generation of Horus uh, speakers, which are available individually or as a full or soon to be a full 5.1 package. Um, with that in mind, you can probably figure out that we're talking about two floor standards, two bookshelves, a centre and a subwoofer here. Um, although the subwoofer seems to be the one component that's probably going to be a little bit behind the launch window. So if you're on the subwoofer or the full 5.1 package, you might have to wait for a little bit. Um, pricing starts at £225 for the centre, the 10C centre as it's called. 6B bookshelves are £299 each. The floor standards are called the 11F for us. They're £750. Pounds, uh, and when the sub does eventually join the party, that is called the 8S subwoofer, and it'll be £450. Uh, but if you buy them all together, you can save yourself £250 at price tag of £1,599. Um, there's a few more specs upon the, the website for each of the models if you're interested in one of them rather than the whole package. So, yeah, head over there to find out a bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying that Ellipson, as well as making um some of the more visually distinctive speakers in the in the Planet series, they have been slowly but surely um, really fleshing out their conventional box speaker ranges, and they do seem to be crushingly competent. And those, you know, those are impressive prices. Um, naturally, uh, we'll be sorting uh, a stereo review sample, and I, I'm sure that once we've actually got the bits, they've got the bits together for the AV, we can see if um, one of the AV gentlemen can take a look at them in multi-channel now at a slightly different price point as i understand it we also have some new arrivals from castle yeah yeah name might be a bit of a blast from the past for some but uh oh, yeah. yeah castle um back on the scene with his first new range or first brand new range of speakers in more than a decade uh 
the, uh, it's the Windsor series, which will be made up of the Windsor Duke and the Windsor Earl, which are essentially bookshelf speakers. Um, key differentials just seems to be a little difference in terms of size and their respective mid-base drivers. But otherwise, you've got similar treble units in place and other similar features. Um, playing a little bit more on the website. Um, yeah, but as you say, the Duke cover a cost uh, price tags at £4,500 per pair for the Windsor Duke, £3,850 per pair for the Earl. And then if you want the stand to go with them, they're going to cost you an extra four or £500 on top. So this is, uh, you know, it's not a cheap addition, addition to the to any setup, but it'll, yeah, be obviously to see if they can deliver genuine value for money. I suppose. Well, it's going to be an interesting one, this. Uh, Castle for years and years and years, they're made in Yorkshire. Um there's no absolute buying data to support this because GFK couldn't really dr drill down to this, but it was reckoned by a number of dealers that Castle had the highest repeat buying rate of pretty much any any brand. The problem was more that they weren't necessarily getting new people in as not retaining, um, and they, they there were also other things that were beyond Castle's control. So they were bought by IAG some, some years ago, um, and because they had been historic excuse me because they had historically been built in yorkshire a number of castle owners simply didn't want to countenance something that was being built in the far east so these products uh they've returned production to uh china uh, sorry to the uk <laughs> uh, which is one of the reasons why the price is significantly higher um and it's the same sort of um if you like design ethos that's gone into the mission 770 which we've looked at the wharfdale dovedale which is inbound as well um so yes it's it's a significant sum of money but it must be said all of the things i've looked at so far uh, seen so far from this uk factory that iag has set up it is immaculately built so if these things are as well built well finished and then have access to the, the technology that iag habitually brings to all of their products these could be quite something so um i'm, I'm interested by this and i think yes it's not inconsequentially expensive but this is the right Thing to do for Castle. So I, I look forward to getting my filthy mitts on these in due course. So we'll see where we go from there. Thank you for that, Ian. Um, my review uh, this week, uh, this podcast, even it's not weekly, um, is the Jewel CS49 uh, turntable. Now, I've reviewed a fair number of turntables for AV forums now, um, but the Jewel has two attributes which are unique. Um, the first is that the comments section for this, thank you to all of the people that have commented saying I had one of these back in the 1980s. It was a joy, um, it, tremendously sentimental um, and rather lovely. Um, outside of sentimentality, the other thing that the Jewel can do is that it is a fully automatic turntable. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the actual bells and whistles sonically, but it's worth reiterating that um, fully automatic turntables are rare things. What that means is, as Phil pointed out at the beginning of the podcast, you do actually have to drag your ass up off the sofa, put the record on to the actual pl uh, uh, platter itself. But from there, you press a button and away it goes. The arm lifts, raises, and drops neatly onto either the edge of a 33 uh, RPM 12-inch record or a 45 RPM 7-inch uh, record. It can be quite interesting to make it do 45 RPM 12-inch. That's that's it, it, it's, it can do it, but it occasionally gets a bit confused. Um, and it's a simple enough thing to describe. And then when the, re the arm gets to the other end, it lifts itself off and it returns back to the, the ready position. Um, to do this, 
the jewel is manifestly different inside to almost every other turntable we've ever looked at. Um, to, to make this happen, whereas most of the turntables we look at, even the expensive ones, are fundamentally a solid plinth with a motor acting somewhere and a mount for the arm, the jewel is absolutely packed full of machinery. And to be very clear, it's machinery. It's not really an electronic process that gets this arm across or puts it back on again. It's chock full of cogs. Um, it's quite steampunk in its own way. The reason I'm laboring this is because all of this is extra complexity, which adds to the price of the unit. And it's it also goes against the principles of decoupling that a number of other manufacturers go to great lengths to do. So when you spend your £650 on the jewel, as I said in the review, if you expect it to perform as well as the um, project debut carbon that we've been you know, waxing lyrical about for some years, it simply can't. Um, it's not designed to. It, you can't fight the laws of physics on this. What I was genuinely impressed by, and it's in, in, in the review copy, you can make your own decision on this, is just how much of a fight it put up. It's beautifully made, um, and it's a very, very pleasant device to spend time listening to. And if you have had an instance in the past where you've broken a record, if you're tired and emotional, shall we say, um, <laughs> You can keep using the jewel long after most other turntables would become a slightly risky proposition. So you, you may or may not find that a useful thing to have um, in, in the inventory. It has to be said that most automatic turntables in 2023 are less expensive than this and rather cruder. This is a really rather lovely thing. And if you are looking for a turntable that takes the stress out of getting your fragile stylus on and off the record, it, it's sort of in a class of one. Um, and the relieving thing is that it's in a class of one and it's still quite good. So the full reviews up on the site. Feel free to have a look at it. If you've got any questions, just stick them in the uh, in the comments thread. I mean, most of the comments thread, as I say, is just people going, oh, I used to have one of these. But if you have any specific questions, I'll do my best to answer them. So yes, that's good. Um, just to let you know, uh, in terms of upcoming products, uh, I'm uploading a few different things um, very shortly. Um, hopefully, so most of which counts as quite affordable. We've got affordable Focus. We've got an affordable Cambridge Audio product. Uh, we've got some less affordable headphones, and we've got an enormous pair of loudspeakers that I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that some people are going to take a look at the photos of and absolutely hate. Are these the one that's on your uh, on your Twitter feed? Isn't yes. They? Yeah, they look um, unusual. <laughs> Do you know what? It's been one of the most, I don't want to, no real spoilers, it's been one of the more surprising products I've tested in a long time because, you know, they say that looks can be deceiving. Well, I, I thought know. you'd picked them up from a charity shop. That's the... I, I think that's, if what actually wants <laughs> you to take a look at them, they are uh, immaculate. So we'll see where we go from there. But yeah, we've got all, all of that and more. So, uh, and and we've got a, a first from Audio Lab as well. So we've got some some interesting things in the in the offing. Um, right, it falls to me to basically wind up for. Uh, yeah, so I, I, need, I need some new music, Ed. Right, okay. Well, I've got two slightly different things now. I'm sure that there's going to be at least one person that listens to this in the week who will take umbrage that neither the record, the album of the podcast, nor the record of the podcast, a vinyl release, is Depeche Mode. Uh, the Depeche Mode released an album, Memento Mori, on um, Friday, and it's abundantly clear that lots and lots of people love it. I've got to be honest, it's not blown my frock up over much. It just feels a bit heavy-handed. I I haven't particularly enjoyed it. I would also say that um, I don't believe that any of the surviving members of Depeche Mode are exactly hard up for cash. So charging £50 for the vinyl release is 
it leaves a sour taste in the mouth. I'm not going to lie. So that's why that isn't the case. So album of the podcast is not available on vinyl at all, which is why it is the album of the podcast. It is a band called Kill the Pain, and they have imaginatively titled their album Kill the Pain. It's about 30 minutes long. Very few of the songs are more than three minutes long, and it's absolutely brilliant. I cannot recommend I've thoroughly, for every point where I listen to the Depeche Mode, I'm like, I should be enjoying this, but I'm not. I just grinned like an idiot listening to this. It goes like the clappers, doesn't overstay its welcome. Lyrically, it's all over the place. Some really interesting sort of, uh, sort of techniques in terms of how the music is made. I have loved every second of this. It's on all the major streaming services. Uh, they appear to be relatively new out the gate, these two ladies. And yeah, just have a listen to it. I, I have thoroughly, thoroughly, this is everything that, the, that Memento Mori wasn't for me. So, I, you know, I cannot recommend that highly enough. Give it a listen, see what you think. Uh, vinyl release is a bit more complicated. This is a band called The Heavy Heavy, uh, and it's called Life and Life Only. Um, it's complicated. Firstly, I'm doing this on assumption because the it's not out yet. I haven't bought it. I haven't listened to it because it's not available. It's available to pre-order, which I've done, but it's not, it's not out yet. But uh, it's a cracking recording. It's a very um, nostalgic sort of late 60s sound, but they're not covers, man. They are all new songs. And they released an EP called Life and Life Only um, last year in June. And this is the extended edition, which fleshes it out into a full-size album. I absolutely love this album. I think it's a great thing to listen to. It's a big, you know, uh, sort of vibrant, encouraging it carries carries a number of different styles and it i just thoroughly thoroughly enjoy listening to it so um that's you know as i say take it under advisement i physically haven't heard the vinyl copy um and it, you know every now and again you receive something which is an absolute duffer so if you want if you want to just leave it until june when i can report back on my copy that's absolutely mm -hmm. fine but it was more a case of being able to recommend two rather different sounds so that's my call for that and then um, on Spotify, I've been enjoy enjoying alternative 80s. I mean, I enjoy the 80s full stop. Um, I, I was possibly born a decade too late. Maybe, maybe not. Um, uh, this has got some, I mean, it's still relatively predictable. If you are a true master of 80s music, you aren't going to find too many new things on here. But it doesn't tread exactly the same old, hoary old chestnuts that... Um, uh, that a number of 80s playlists does. And it's on Spotify, so almost everyone seems to be a Spotify subscriber. So if you type in alternative 80s, it will be there and you can enjoy yourself and hopefully either relive some past moments or or reacquaint yourself with one of the more indulgent yeah. decades. I saw you were listening to this, Ed, because your thing when I'm on Spotify, it comes up telling me what you're listening to on Spotify. And I, yeah. I saw this and I thought, oh, interesting, clicked on it. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I love 80s stuff and I was... There's quite a few in there that I thought, oh, haven't heard this for a while. Yeah, exactly. It's it's Spotify's very very good at this sort of thing. Mm. So um, I'd like to apologise. I was slightly hamstrung by choosing a uh, playlist. My I am between title subs. So I, for all I know, that title has produced something absolutely outstanding, and I just simply haven't been able to see it. So I apologise in advance for that. Right. But um, uh, as I say, lots and lots. Of, if if we had to look at one service that more people are subscribers to than anything else, it's Spotify. So uh, I never never too many risks going for a Spotify recommendation. Right. Well, Ed, thank you very much for the hi-fi section as always, and for the uh, the m music at the end. There, I always like your recommendations. 
uh, I'm always struggling for things to listen to, so it's always great to get that input. Uh, mm. Before we uh, wrap up, so in terms of reviews um, coming up, we're about to get into a new month, so coming up for me, uh, there is a Sharp TV, which is sitting behind me. It's almost finished. We're going to shoot the video tomorrow for that. Uh, I've also got a, a, TL, a TCL uh, TV sitting on the floor next to me. It's the uh, C835. Um, it's uh, it's still current at this moment in time. Um, it's a mini LED TV. Uh, it'll be going up onto the test bench next. Also a projector from uh, Optoma. And then I have two uh, ultra short throw projectors that I'm looking at as well. So I've got Hisense uh, PX1 Pro. Uh, so that's the Hisense laser TV without the screen. Uh, but you can, as you can see, I've got a screen behind me, so we'll be using it on there. And I also have the uh, 4 movie uh, in at the moment. I know that that is a popular one on the forums. Uh, so that is in for review. It'll get fully measured and uh, assessed. And I believe it's one of the only uh, UST projectors at the minute that can actually do Dolby Vision. Um, and do it officially uh, so we'll be testing that out as well so that's what i've got in for review at the moment uh, martin what are you looking at uh, well as well as the clips the sevens which are uh, arriving tomorrow i've got the emotiva mc1 basex mc1 which is a 13.2 channel preamplifier processor that is now in the rack so my plan is next to actually i'm going to be wiring that up tomorrow so hope to get listening soon uh, also, very cheap soundbars by a company called Groovy. Uh, might get one or even two products from them. And uh, they have a product which is as cheap, a soundbar as cheap as £29.99. So good. something for everyone. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if it's any good uh, at that price point. So, yeah, excellent. Uh, that's what's coming up in the next couple of weeks anyway. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, we are back again um on this podcast on the 10th of april but don't forget the movies podcast is every other week so uh there is a podcast every week for you it's either the hardware or the movies uh, So movies podcast the movies edition is back uh, on the 3rd of april so uh, join kaz and the team at half past eight for the uh, the live uh, stream of that and then of course that will be available to listen to uh, as a recorded version after that uh, either on youtube or you can get the audio only version uh, through your podcast provider and like i say we're back on the 10th of april at 7 p.m uh, and all i need to do now is thank ian ed and martin thank you very much guys um jules left us a little bit earlier on uh, and if you've enjoyed this podcast then do please consider giving us a like and subscribing to the channel so you don't miss an episode we've also got some more videos coming up on the channel very soon uh, martin's doing a few more shots uh, you'll get some shots from me as well I, i'm going to go through all the products i've just mentioned uh, you'll see some uh, little videos on them before uh, we do the full thing um, and of course, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, you can Instagram, you can bookmark AV forums, you can do all the usual things. And of course, if you're listening to us on a podcast provider, if they let you leave a rating, uh, then please do consider doing that. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for watching and uh, we will see you again very soon. Good night. <laughs>